Paul says in his letter to the church in Rome, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, truly one of the most difficult things to get a handle on in the Christian walk is learning to love your enemies. Those that persecute you and spitefully use you. Those that do harm to you, abuse you take advantage of you, those that speak ill of you and mock your belief in God and in his Son and in the Holy Spirit. See, our natural human reaction to this hostility is to retaliate, isn't it? We want to strike back. We want to lash out at those who hurt us. We want to give them a taste of their own medicine, give them their just desserts, give them what they deserve. Am I right? I didn't think it was just me. And it seems more and more these days that we have opportunities to love our enemies because as Christians, we have a world full of opposition out there seeking to eradicate our beliefs or maybe even us along with them. Let's face it, being a Christ follower these days is not for the faint of heart. And when I first considered that passage of scripture from Romans, it seemed to me that the part about heaping burning coals on the heads of one's enemies was contradictory to the whole point of the passage. I mean, isn't heaping burning coals on someone's head an evil thing to do? Isn't paying back evil for evil? Isn't that a perfect example of that? And even if they did something bad to you, wouldn't heaping burning coals on them be an act of vengeance? Or even if that phrase was meant to be figurative rather than literal, isn't doing something with the intent of even shaming them or making them feel bad in a tit-for-tat kind of way, isn't that just being as malevolent as our enemies? So when I come across what seems like a contradiction within a passage of scripture, it causes me to pause and look a little deeper. And one thing I've learned about God's word is that it never really contradicts itself. What appears to be a contradiction regarding the heaping of burning coals on a person's head is really no contradiction at all if we look a little deeper. See, in ancient times, as in some cultures today, people would carry heavy loads on their heads. It wasn't uncommon to see women carrying large earthen jars full of water or baskets full of wood or stones or bricks. And in ancient times, as in some cultures even today, the center of life of family and the home was the cooking hearth. The fireplace was central to life. Bread was baked there, water was boiled there, food was cooked there, heat was provided there. The fire was kept going all day and every day, and if the fire ever went out, it was a big deal. 
One didn't simply turn on the gas and relight the pilot. If the fire went out, you had to take a clay pot or maybe a metal one if you happened to be well off, and you traveled with it on your head to the home of a neighbor to ask for a few of the embers, some of the burning coals from their fire. And if they were extraordinarily generous, they would fill your pot with burning coals. They would heap burning coals on your head, ensuring that you could rekindle your fire back at home. So heaping burning coals on the heads of your enemies makes a whole lot more sense now to me in the context of that new information. So what this passage is saying to us is that we are to treat our enemies not just with kindness and decency, but rather we are to treat them with extraordinary measures of generosity, which might just give them the ability to light a fire of love and kindness in their own house. This is the proper response to hate. So how do we get to the glory that God alone attains? We have to resist the natural human response in those, to those of us who are, are not like us in some superficial way. And we have to see them through God's eyes for who they truly are a child of the Most High God, loved and cherished by Him. And that's not always an easy thing to do, is it? See, some folks are just downright hard to love. I mean, look at some of those people through worldly eyes. They have issues. They have behavior problems. They have attitude problems. They are mean-spirited. And some of them are really different from me. They believe differently. They're strange, weird even. Some of them are really hostile and want to hurt me, even kill me, just because of what I believe and who I believe in. And if we really think about it, sometimes we are they. But what if we looked at them differently? What if we looked at them through God's eyes and saw them the way he sees them? See, God has the ability to see things differently than we do. Paul says in his letter to the church in Rome, Even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. I think King James says it better. Even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. How awesome is our God who can see things that are not in the natural world and with his word call them into being. God can transform the hateful person into the loving person. He can change hearts, change lives, make enemies into friends simply by seeing it and speaking it. God takes what they mean for evil and uses it for good for his purposes, and for his honor. And here's the amazing part. We, you and I, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can put that transforming power into action in our own lives and the lives of those around us. We can look at them through God's eyes and claim for them the true nature of their being. And we can look at ourselves through God's eyes and see ourselves as the image and likeness of God the way he created us to be. So what happens when you treat people 
as if they are valued by God. I once heard of a woman, uh, we'll call her Margaret. Margaret was a lady who was getting on in years who lived in a retirement home. And all her life, Margaret suffered from low self-esteem, always thinking she was never good enough, never smart enough. See, when Margaret was a child, she went to school in a one-room schoolhouse in the country. And she was an awkward child who didn't seem to fit in with the other kids. When she was in her fifth year of school, a new teacher was hired at the school, and for whatever reason, maybe because Margaret was so very different, she immediately disliked Margaret. Now, after a particularly trying day, the teacher, angry and frustrated with the class, and especially with Margaret, told each of the 25 students in the school to write a reason they didn't like Margaret on the chalkboard. And one by one they wrote, Margaret is ugly, Margaret is stupid, Margaret is strange, Margaret is fat, Margaret is... Margaret took that cruel experience with her for the rest of her life. And now in her declining years living in a nursing home, she reaches out to a local pastor who visits the home on occasion. And she shares with him over a cup of coffee the things that took place in that one-room schoolhouse that day. I can recall each one, their face and what they wrote about me, Margaret says. It has stayed with me all of my life. Oh, but there's one you left out, the pastor says. No, that's not possible, Pastor. I've replayed it so many times. I'm sure they are all accounted for. They and the mean things they wrote, each and every one. And she closes her eyes so that she can picture them better. No, there is one. One at the back of the class, Margaret. Don't you see him? See him? He's getting up from his chair, Margaret, and he's walking to the front of the class. Do you see him? Margaret. Now he's taking the chalk from the teacher and he's picking up the eraser on the chalkboard's ledge. Can you see him, Margaret? He's erasing all of those mean things from the board and he's writing new things in their place. Can't you just see him, Margaret? He's writing. Margaret is beautiful. Margaret is kind. Margaret is wonderful. Margaret is loved. Do you see him, Margaret? It's Jesus. Yes, Margaret smiled. I see him, and he's the only one who knows who I really am. See, when we see people the way God sees them, When we treat each person, even our enemies, with extraordinary generosity and the love of Jesus, when we heap burning coals on their heads, they are transformed, and in turn, we are transformed. Jesus said, you have heard it that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. 
For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus said we're to be perfect. We're to be as God created us to be. But how on earth can I attain perfection when I'm only human? Well, First John says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Therein rests the key to obtaining perfection, abiding in Jesus, putting our hope in Jesus. The blood of Jesus covers us with his redeeming mercy and grace, and through him we are purified. Through him we are made perfect, and in that perfection we have the ability to see through God's eyes. Perfect people respond to hatred of others with extraordinary goodness. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven.